0: Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all in the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and Jobboss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling.
1: This episode is sponsored by our friends at the NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association. The NTMA is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial-based, and family-owned businesses representing nearly 1,200 small to mid-sized machine shops and tool and die shops across the country. They have approximately 30 very active regional chapters that host local events, run apprenticeship programs, and provide other services to their regional members. As an association of peers, the goal of the NTMA is to help members of the US precision custom manufacturing industry achieve profitable growth and business success in a global economy through networking, workforce development and training, technology, best practices education, advocacy, programs, and services with industry partners. To learn how your company can get involved with the NTMA, including how to join, visit ntma.org.
0: Shazam, this is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. Have you ever read an article or blog post and have some questions, wish the author had gone into more detail in a particular area? That happens to me frequently, and maybe I'm weird, but I decided to do something about it. Today is a continuation of my coupling a follow-up podcast interview with a shop owner who has had an article written about them and their shop. Kevin Hines of KLH Industries in Germantown, Wisconsin joins us. KLH was selected as a 2022 Modern Machine Shop Top Shop in the business strategies and performance category, and they had a great article written on them we go into more detail on the specific implementation of the practices that power their company, what really intrigued me as I read the article. We talk about a company operating system, what it is, the one that they have used, which is EOS, why you want one, how to implement one, and how poor values and a flywheel play into it. Kevin is absolutely so much fun to talk to and He shares an unbelievable amount of tips. Without further delay, let's get into it. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Kevin. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, I am so excited to talk to you today. First, congratulations on being a 2022 Modern Machine Shop Top Shop. That's a huge honor.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, I give a lot of the credit to the people here. I think it's been earned over time and it's just happened to be our year to actually be recognized. So, very grateful. Well,
0: it's not probably a coincidence because you also won the award in 2009 if I saw that correctly. Is that true?
2: I don't think we won the award in 2009, but we had an article in Top Shops about our our lean endeavors back then. We had invested, I, I think it was something, it was astronomical. It was like $80,000 to buy curriculum and put the entire company through lean training over mm. the course of several weeks. <laughs> it was all done outside of normal business hours. So, we, you know, this is all your late nights getting pizzas and all that stuff. So we, we did every single person in the company back then. And I was, you know, uh, year one, I was relatively new yeah. at the time in terms of working here full time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I still remember it back then. And in fact, we were just having talks not too long ago about kind of kicking that back up and going through a second wave of, you know, now here's all the new faces and getting everyone else kind of brought up to speed on that stuff.
0: So you've been investing though, as a shop for a long time in your technology, your people, your process, all that.
2: Yeah. And a lot of that credit goes to our founder, actually my father, Ken Hines, Mm -hmm. you know, he he, had a, he saw lean manufacturing, and it was something that really resonated with him and was very meaningful. He could see the impact, and I give him a lot of credit. You know, when he wants to dive into something and says, this is it, we got to do this, he, he tends to go full speed. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, what
0: I wanted to catch up with you on was the article in the September magazine that profiled you and your shop and it's titled, Gaining Traction on Strategic Vision. Yeah. And you were selected in the business strategies and performance category. I read the article. I had a ton of follow-on and clarifying questions. And I so appreciate you coming on to hopefully answer some of those and, and expand on it. Before we get into the meat of all those questions and what the article was about. Could you tell me more in your own words where your shop is today and what you guys are
2: doing? Sure. I think in terms of where we are today, I always see how much more we could do. So I'm Mm -hmm. kind of always looking in the future. So if you asked me, I would say that I feel like we're still relatively early on, on in, in this journey. You know we just started EOS in summer of 2019. Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like we've mastered it yet. There, there's a lot of concepts that I think just take a lot of time. I'm sure we'll talk about the core values that that too is mm-hmm. a good example yeah. of something that seems simple, but I mean we probably put in 50 to 75 hours collectively to come up with yeah. you know, five very short core values. So it, it, it takes time to really give it the the attention and focus. And as you kind of develop, but we're kind of at a point in, in the company's history where we're seeing good growth the last three or four years with the exception of the pandemic year. I think that was everyone's yeah. exception, but yeah. that outlier aside, you know, we're seeing year over year growth. So we're seeing, you know, immediate impacts in terms of, you know, what, what concepts have we implemented how are they driving the decision making we're doing mm-hmm. and i i just i see i see our vision being a lot more targeted in the future if that if that makes sense yeah absolutely
0: absolutely and more on the nuts and bolts side you are 35,000 square feet roughly 45 yeah. team members
2: yeah uh, what what's your
0: forte what do you guys like to do
2: oh sure well we have Four, uh, we call them business units, EDM, CNC machining, milling, turning, grinding, water jet cutting, and then the fourth Mm -hmm. is uh, CMM inspection. So that's the services we offer. We primarily tend to focus on our our niche in, in in the world as kind of aerospace and defense related work. We are AS9100 certified. We are ITAR registered. We're very closely watching uh, CMMC certification for cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. So, so all yep. of these things play together really well. As in terms of you know where do we want to go in the future? We just as of a couple of weeks ago received our federal firearms license, our FFL. So Almost. that's that's going to be another targeted market for us in the future.
0: Yeah, yeah. In the article, and you mentioned twenty nineteen. You guys were a solid shop. You went to a seminar and something clicked. A light bulb went off. What, what happens?
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting. So I'm second generation or and I've, I have this opportunity here at, at this shop, this business that my, my parents, Ken and Connie, built. Mm-hmm. And just personally for me, I was kind of growing up here and kind of feeling like, man, there's just something felt missing for me. on a a personal level and Ken had read the traction book which is part of the you know the traction library the EOS library and we went to Mm -hmm. this seminar that was put on by one of our peers here actually in our industrial park and it just really resonated with me you know the the six components what they were driving towards and and really realizing a lot of this was missing for us so I I think this is probably true of a lot of businesses not just KLH but you know the a lot of the strategy and vision, you know, mm-hmm. exist in the mind of the owner and the founder. Yes. And, you know, when you start to get to a certain size, you start to realize that, you know, you, you need to all pull in the same direction and you mm-hmm. really need to put that on paper, communicate that early and often to a lot of people, bring in a lot of people into that. So we had a very, you know, real experience where we found out what our ceiling was doing and, and oh. ken would share this as he he'll say there, there was a ceiling to as far as i could take it on my shoulders i mean granted mm. he got a lot of good help but the way he was doing things had a ceiling and he and he knew yes. it and he and he found out about it so i was hearing him have these conversations and say these things and then when we went and saw EOS. it was just a, a a light bulb i remember talking with him in the parking lot and saying we we got to do this we have to do this
0: what i'm hearing though is. Maybe if you'd gone to this seminar three years earlier, that wouldn't happen. You had gotten to a point where you were looking, or at least your, your minds were open to a different way of doing business.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think we would have entertained it even three years ago. You know, The, the, <laughs> the feelings were there that what we were doing, the, the word that kept coming up is scalable, right?
0: We, how, how did you run your company before EOS?
2: so the best example I can give you is, is a practice that we used to do that I think was inefficient that we changed is, is our weekly meetings. Mm-hmm. So we, we had a weekly meeting, you know, in EOS it's called a level 10 meeting.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: I, I forget what we we call it a manager's meeting. We weren't as creative, <laughs> but what it was is, you know, every Monday, I think at 10 o'clock we'd get in the room and we'd have every manager in the company there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we were a company that i don't know we were 30 35 40 people maybe and we mm-hmm. had eight people in the room
3: mm.
2: so you know here we're a small company we've got about a quarter of the company in a weekly meeting every every week and i i would sit in on it i would just i would just notice that generally when you have that many people in a room you get into that group groupthink and no one wants to talk Mm. So it it started, some meetings you could tell, you could feel it in the room that they were just being driven by, by, you know, Ken, that he would, he was, he even had a, a mm. section of the meeting called Ken's Corner where he would discuss his issues and things he wanted to bring up. And in, it, it was really more about how are we doing, checking in, reporting in on things, you know, were there even some sections where we check and say, did people do the things that they were supposed to be doing? Are we you know, dotting our I's and crossing our T's. So we, we'd have Mm -hmm. some reporting sessions and really that was one of the biggest changes we made is kind of saying, okay, that's, that's not the most efficient use of the meeting. In fact, I think part of EOS is, you know, when you go through your focus and vision setting Mm -hmm. days, you you kind of decide, how would you rank your current meetings? So we did that. I think the general answer out of 10 was like a four ish Mm. and more looking so we, at the past
0: than looking at the future. Well. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing.
2: Yeah. yeah. So that was one of the biggest changes is now, okay, now we have an L level 10 meeting with a different kind of agenda. It's more issue based in terms instead of reporting based. We also made some changes in terms of who attended the before meetings. We, yeah, before we ahead. get
0: into the nitty gritty, let's step back. So, sure. what does EOS stand for?
2: Ah, good question. Yeah, if no one's ever heard of it before, it's, EOS is the Entrepreneurial Operating System. Perhaps you could
0: describe what EOS is.
2: Yeah, it's a business operating system that I think they would say is targeted towards medium and, and small businesses. And and really, for me, it provides a lot of the framework for vision and and. Execution, what they call traction. Mm -hmm. So that was really the biggest impact it had on us was setting this vision that Ken always had. I mean, he always had it. You always, you don't, you don't get to be a certain size job shop without having a vision, right? And Mm -hmm. and Ken could, Ken could very much do that on his own. It's just Mm -hmm. now he needed other people to to help take it further. Well,
0: it sounds like he is incredible operator grower of the business and it's not his job nor yours to invent the structure when it's already out there. So the EOS system, it gives you that framework and that structure that you can slip your business into and then start executing better. Is that a good way of putting it?
3: Yeah,
2: absolutely. It's, if, if you ever find you feel lost or you just have this general sense that things could be better, maybe we, we could do things a different way. That's a big personal mentality for me is, you know, with, with all the resources out there, being a job shop, you're not alone by any means anymore. There's, you know, there's resources like this podcast to help you get traction in your business and kind of learn what the best practices are. you're you're not alone anymore. And I always think that in in today's world, there's a, there's just a fair amount of someone else has solved this problem. Whatever problem you're facing, someone else has dealt with it. You're not unique in that way.
0: My company was probably about the size of yours when we implemented a similar different trick called scaling up by Vern Harnish. It was actually Mm -hmm. called the Rockefeller habits back then. Sure. He renamed it. And Yes. I, what you're describing is how I felt. I I had taken us as far as we could go. I felt lost. I hate structure, but I knew structure was what was needed to give my team the ability, as you said, to, to take what's in my head and put it out there so everybody is, and I'll quote it, rowing in the same direction and yeah. I saw the scaling up, actually, the Rockefeller Habits book, and I literally rented a suite in a local hotel, and I got those big stick them 3M papers, and I put them all on the wall, and I sat there, and I read the book, and I would get up, and I would write stuff down, and I think it was probably around five o'clock, my CFO, I called him. He's a good friend, too. It's like, okay, come over. I think I got something here and that's how we started. You started slightly different. You went to a seminar and by the way, I think that that's awesome that you had a peer who's willing to do something like that. I, I You can look at it as your, your hard competitors or you could look at it as we're trying to grow American manufacturing and it sounds like there's a lot of camaraderie in, in your area. So kudos to that shop for being open to hosting something like that, yeah. You you were introduced in in you started up front with a consultant. How did that happen? Why did you think a consultant was the best way to go? Maybe we could talk about yeah. that a little
2: bit. Well, I don't know if we knew any better at the time. The reason why our peer was hosting a seminar is because they had used a consultant, and then okay. I, I've heard it said that it usually. You know, it takes about two years to implement EOS. I mean, if you really have a team dedicated mm-hmm. and focused on it, so that they had gone through their two years and they were now parting ways with their consultants. So I think this was actually a favor to him mm. to say, let me invite my friends and <laughs> and see if, if any of them are interested. And I, I, I hate to say, because this, this, this gentleman had obviously had quite a bit of impact on the story that is KLH, but we didn't use him because he was out of Northern Illinois. We're in south on the north side of milwaukee and southeastern wisconsin so the there was a distance there that didn't that we didn't really like but then it inspired us to go out and start you know learning about the other coaches in the area that worked with eos Mm -hmm. and you know we did a a a few more extra seminars you know the same version from another person and Mm -hmm. um, ultimately picked someone that we felt we jived with and i i think the you know the the biggest reason and I don't know if we knew it back then, but if, if I were giving advice to someone is the, the value of a, of a good coach is just instrumental in the process because they've got all the best practices. They've mm-hmm. seen it. They've lived it in executions. The one we're working with currently owns several businesses, used EOS in her businesses. Mm-hmm. you know. So there's a lot of practical knowledge and even if you don't wanna do any of that, just having someone act as a facilitator so y- you as a business owner can be a participant in those meetings and not the facilitator is honestly, it's worth the money. We're still using the consultants and I, would, I don't really have any intentions to stop just because I value that facilitation so much.
0: I totally agree. I made the mistake of going on my own in the beginning. That's something I would do over. And I got to a point where we brought in, and I, I want you to specifically name your consultant so that sure. they can get lots of business as well. But we ended up working with Andy Bailey at Petra Group. And my God, this, the things that you said, once we brought in that outside, experienced voice and facilitator, again, it, it was another quantum jump forward in what we were doing. We, we, it made a difference when we implemented it on ourselves, but when we brought in a coach, we went, we really started the fire going.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're our consultant's name is Kelly Renz, R-E-N-Z mm-hmm. and her company is Vantage out of Heartland, Wisconsin. So can't say enough good things about her. And, and even the coach that we started with was Jim Palzewitz. Mm-hmm. Uh, so can't say enough good things about just the, the community in southeastern Wisconsin, because all of those coaches, even, even, you know, to your point about the, the shops, you know, fostering, you know, uh, uh, facilitating for each other, they all work together, they all support each other. I don't know how it is in other areas of the country, but feel very, very thankful for the group we have here. So you said, Kelly, we <laughs> want to
0: engage with you. We want to get going with EOS. How did it start? What did she sit down with you guys and do first?
2: Yeah. So the EOS process is they call it a a focus and a vision setting days. So Mm there, I think there, the focus day was one day and then the vision was one or two days. Don't I'm going to, it's been a while. It's been almost three years now. So I'm forgetting how we got started, but you know, they're all day sessions and they're offsite. So the whole mm-hmm. idea is you need to disconnect, you need to leave your yeah. your email at work, you need to leave physically leave the office, go somewhere else. Just like what you said when you, you rented out a room and put up all those papers, you know. <laughs> there's real truth in that. That's just the best way to disconnect and do your free thinking, I think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your your focus day and, and your vision, that's where they take you through a lot of the foundational stuff that you need to make the traction side of EOS work. So, you know, what is your core values? What is your your purpose? Why do you do this business? You know, what mm. is your niche? What do you do well? You know, your 10-year targets, your, you know, your ideal markets. All of this is part of what they call their VTO, their vision traction organizer.
3: Uh, this- but,
2: and even, I you know, I probably left out one of the biggest things is the accountability chart. So that was mm. one of the big aha moments for us is, you know, you... Everyone probably has org charts if you're in, you know, ISO or AS, there there may even be a requirement mm-hmm. to have an org chart. For for us EOS brought this concept of an accountability chart. And the the biggest rule about it I can remember is you can't have two people in the same box. You can't say both Jay and Kevin are responsible for, you know, operations. Mm-hmm. Does't work. Ultimately, one person needs to be accountable. And at the time, you know, this is a family run business. and it mm-hmm. still is, but at the time it was myself, my father Ken and my mother Connie were all involved in the business. and just to take a function like HR, for example, we all did HR. And then even the hiring managers would put out their own job ads and, and do their own mm-hmm. interviewing. So I mean, if we really sat down and mapped out who was accountable for HR, we'd probably have 10, 10 people. (laughs) (laughs) So we really needed to say, okay, well, who's going to be accountable? How are we going to restructure things? Mm -hmm. And it was through that accountability process that we, we actually did, you know, find a way to kind of take these, these weekly manager meetings that were, you know, eight to 10 people every week and say, okay, let's start breaking these out so now we've got a leadership L10, we've got an operations L10, we've got a sales and marketing L10, that, that all uh-huh. happen every week.
0: So many pieces.
2: I, <laughs> I'm, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm looking at my notes going, okay, well, for someone who this is interesting, they're, they're trying to get a feel of some of the specifics. Can you talk about rocks and pebbles
2: and what's, uh, what what they sure. are,
0: why? <laughs> why rocks are important and pebbles are perhaps necessary but evil.
2: <laughs> yeah, so there's a there's an old and this might be from scaling up or the Rockefeller habits, I think this concept, but you know, if you had a if you had a jar and it represented the amount of time you had in a day and your pebbles are all your minutia, your day-to-day stuff, your answering emails, the phone rings, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you put all that stuff in the jar first, and then you put the, try to put the rocks in top, you're not gonna be able to fit the rocks in. So your rocks are your big projects. You're, usually they're larger in scope, but they're the things that if, if you don't do them, you're really not gonna move the business forward long-term. Mm-hmm. So it's really a difference between do you get stuck in day-to-day or do you focus on strategic things that are more for the future? So the concept of rocks are 90-day objectives. Where you're, you're, you know, we go through quarterly sessions with our coach and we, we always go through a, a rock setting process of, okay, what's most important for the company to accomplish in the next 90 days?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Could be any one of the leadership team members and any one of our functions, but what do we need to do to drive the business forward and to keep us on track for our annual goals?
0: And those are related to your vision and your purpose?
2: Yes. Yep. Yep, we've got a, a 10-year target and a, and a three-year picture that we're mm-hmm. trying to hit, strive towards. So, yeah. And it's a lot of
0: hard work coming up with those 10 and three-year targets and, and your vision. However, it, it makes the annual, the quarterly, the monthly, the weekly meetings a lot easier because you know what you're going to
2: do or where you want to go. You have a path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, for us, it's, it's all of those things that were in Ken's head once upon a time are now on paper. Mm-hmm. I can show it to people. And uh, e- even more than just the people here, it's also the people that we sit down and do interviewing to. So EOS is even a, an attraction tool mm. for us. Yes. You know, when someone is evaluating your business and whether or not they want to be a part of your team, they want to know, you know, am I good fit just as much as mm-hmm. you do? You're, you're, you know, you're dating so that as much as you can show them to say, Hey, this is who we are. This is where we're trying to go. This is where you fit in, in this, mm-hmm. in this, in the vision. And
0: here's the opportunity for you to grow along that journey.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I have never personally been in any interviews where, you know, the person on the other side wasn't excited about seeing this kind of stuff. And it really it's been a little eye opening for me how how many businesses probably don't don't follow through with documenting their vision especially their core values.
0: Sounds like Kelly helped you come up with your core values. What was that whole part of it like? What where mm-hmm. did you did you sit down offsite in a room did it happen in a day and you walked out with core values or
2: How did that work? I wish. I wish. (laughs) So, our first EOS coach was actually Jim Powellowitz. So, he's the guy who took us through this process. But, you know, the first thing he had us do is we did reading. So, we read uh, the book Good to Great by Jim Collins. Mm -hmm. And then we also read an article in the Hardware Business Review about what they called permission to play core values.
3: So, and,
2: and that was really eye opening for me too, is because our Kaylee's had core values prior to EOS. They were, you know, truth, respect, integrity. And I used to, you know, jokingly kind of poke fun at them and call them the beauty pageant core values, because if you stood up, you know, it just (laughs) seems like the kind of values that a, you know, a beauty pageant contestant would give (laughs) because they didn't really, you know, they, they seemed like the right answer. I like how it was said in the article, their expectations
0: and that's, yeah. And you flipped that or Jim flipped it. And so what did you, what did you align with then?
2: Yeah. So permission to play core values are all about, these are the things you have to have. You don't get in the building if you don't have one of these things. So do you really need a core value that, that that's truth? Because Mm -hmm. would you keep someone in, you know, in your company, if they weren't honest with you, Mm -hmm. you know, for most people, I think the answer is probably no. Mm-hmm. So we, we do all that reading and then, then we sit down and we start going through this process. And I believe the question he asked us was, you know, think of the people that if you had a hundred of them, you feel like you could take over the world.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: we just wrote down the names, I think three or four each. And then he said, okay, well, tell me what you like about each of them. And mm-hmm. then, you know, now we've got a couple more things and then we put them all on the board every name, every characteristic and trait. And Uh then we just kind of went through a process of combining or taking off ones and kind of came out with some common themes amongst these individuals. And I I actually looked these up for our podcast today. So back then, some of the ones we came up with were respect, problem solving, mentorship and trust. Those were the, Mm. the theme of them. And we actually had to go back through ourselves and say, well, respect is you know, permission to play. Trust is permission to play. So mm-hmm. we, even, even our initial attempt at this really didn't feel unique to KLH in any way. Mm. I think that's um, a great way of putting it. it. Your
0: business is unique. My business is unique. If you're listening, your business is unique. The
2: core values should be unique to you. Yeah, that was one of my biggest takeaways from reading that good to great book by Jim Collins is, you know, he, he's, it's a very data-driven approach where they are evaluating a lot of companies that went from good to great and, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that they find is there's almost no correlation between what the right core values are. They didn't all have trust. They didn't Mm -hmm. all have, you know, integrity. What they found was they were unique to that company. And they really lived by them. You know that, that those are how you make successful core values. What are ALH's core values? Ah, good question. So after after eight revisions, and that's true, <laughs> our five core values are: think like a customer, challenge the status quo, lift while you climb, big things are composed of small things, and attitude is a choice. Mm. And it was a very it was a very intentional decision just to make them short phrases too mm-hmm. over just individual words. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always, I was a communication major in college actually. So, you know, I, I obsess that I slave over wording and I could tell you this was getting, getting four or five people in a room and trying to agree on wording of, of these was a lot of, a lot of brain power. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah.
0: It, it's hard. It to, to be simple is hard oh yeah
2: absolutely that's a great way to put it
0: yeah yeah if you could take one of those core values and give us the backstory why is that K hey, L H? what if it wasn't there what would the gap be that you wouldn't function the way that you want to
2: mm. boy i could i could pick any of them oh well you know that i think the the one that's has always kind of resonated. And has always just been, you know, part of the DNA of of KLH is to think like a customer. Mm. So, you know, we've defined this as, you know, serving others in ways they don't expect. It's communicating proactively. It's it's about ultimately it's about making life easier for the next person, whether that's mm-hmm. whether that is your actual external customer or whether it's you know your in- internal customer, a colleague. Mm-hmm. I think the people. Who have been here 20, 30, 40 years, well, not 40, but 20 and 30 years, and there and there are a handful of them, are the guys who think like a customer. Mm-hmm. They have the technical understanding to know what they're trying to accomplish. But then they also know: hey, if I they develop these relationships where they they have real conversations about what we can and can't do, don't overpromise and underdeliver. And if, if we didn't do those kinds of things, I think it would be very hard for KLH because our position in a, in this market is more higher end. You know, we tend to do the really, really tough things. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that we want to do that all the time, but <laughs> our sell is quality here. And if we weren't putting ourselves in the shoes of the customers and making parts that we ourselves would buy. Um mm-hmm we wouldn't be able that would be the gap that we wouldn't be able to say, you know, we're a high quality shop. It's sometimes really hard
0: to do something that it makes you, your life more difficult, but makes the customer's life easier. And yeah. Because everyone's trying to within the shop and, and and you get it. They they want to be efficient, streamline things, but sometimes you create Obstacles for the customers, and I love how, if you think like a customer, that's this isn't going to make my life easier as a customer.
2: Yeah, I I love using that one internally because that's the way people tend to not think of it. You know, you say the word customer, you go outside the the your four walls, but even just understanding, you know, that's the fear in the world, right? Is you get bigger and you get silos, and just understanding what is the next person doing with with what I'm doing.
3: Yep. If you don't
0: deburr that part correctly, somebody else is going to have to.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So when I was younger and working here at KLH Industries in in high school and grade school, I was in the shipping department, packing and shipping things. And, you know, I'd write on pack lists and I'd turn them into billing. And that was really kind of how I got so involved in the business is I always wanted to know what the next person was doing with what I was giving them. Mm What do hmm. you do with this? Hmm. Should I, should I not do that then? Okay. All right. Then I, I'll do it this way from now on. And you mm-hmm. just, you just learn so much by asking those kinds of questions, even, even internally. The core values are defined now. How do you use
0: them as a tool? You, you talked a little bit, maybe externally with the interviews, but how do you use them internally? How do they reinforced? Where do you, if, if we walked in the building, where might we see them? We want to understand how they're embedded in your culture now that you made the investment in creating them.
3: Yeah.
2: So I'll say that this is one area in which I think that we need to mature even more. We we use them often. We recognize based on them often. We, when we do our quarterly state of the company meetings, that's the EOS term. We, we call them mm-hmm. uh, something different, but we Everyone is recognizing, bringing them up. So we talk about them often. We socialize them very often. It's part of hmm. training and hiring. If I you could know, get specific, yeah. you, when you say
0: you're socializing,
2: so instead of saying, Kevin, you did a great
0: job, you'd say, I loved how you thought like a customer
2: and mm-hmm.
0: you did this. Is that what you're talking about?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a good time because one of the other core values is to challenge the status quo. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a great time to <laughs> So so whenever
0: somebody pushes back on you
2: it's like oh Kevin I'm only challenging the status quo. <laughs> I know I know and when you know you've got the right core values when people start using them or they're saying them to you to remind you of them like that's when you know you're they're resonating with people.
0: <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, um, so yeah. There was a lot of
0: mention of flywheel. In the article, and I, I love that concept. We lived it, and Jim Collins actually did. You ever grab his short little book on the flywheel?
3: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That that is awesome. I recommend anyone listening go out on Amazon and spend the ten bucks or whatever it is. Was that something that your consultant Jim was that an exercise that he worked with you guys on and? why did he think is important and how has it evolved into the culture of your company?
2: Yeah. Kelly's the one. So now dating Kelly. back, Kelly's okay. the one who actually got us into the flywheel. Yeah. So Jim had us read good to great. Kelly had us actually read the, the flywheel book that you're talking about, which you're, mm-hmm. you're right is, is a very good read for as, as short as it is. But even the, the flywheel concept of, you know, pushing, on a flywheel and it's hard at first, and then it starts to pick up steam. We're pushing the flywheel, we're setting the infrastructure, but there's a lot of decisions along the way to help us scale up. So, you know, Kelly really walked us through this exercise of, you know, what is KLH's unique proposition um, Mm -hmm. and, and what is going to be the mentality that we use that we pressure test new ideas to make sure we stay on track. You know the article talks a little bit about you know some changes in in equipment that we did over the past year yeah we just bought some manure very highly capable with robotic arms on them and we parted ways with some some larger lays in, in our world larger lays that really didn't have a lot of capability they're more you know your more common you know three axis lays no live tooling and mm-hmm. so our flywheel part of it involves you know what type of equipment are we buying? What's its capability level? Because we find, and again, this just goes back to attraction. People are drawn to a certain type of shop, a certain type of equipment, because hmm. those are the people who take great pride in what they do. For those people, they're not coming in to press a button. Those are the people who, you know, this is their vocation in life.
0: And what is your flywheel? Maybe we, I want to ah. make sure we get that in there and then it it's all makes sense talking about it.
2: Sure. You know, we're, we we're just talking about tweaking this at our annual session two weeks ago, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do this off memory, but the, the gist of it is, you know, the, the type of customers we bring in, we're trying to do their work, you know, this challenging medium to high complexity work. We're trying to do it in highly capable equipment, which draws a highly skilled machinist Mm -hmm. who are able to apply their knowledge to come up with either a really great process plan that generates us a profit that we can then reinvest in more highly capable equipment.
0: Right. So these, the the flywheel is spinning you, the, the equipment, and and I know it's, it's a circle, so it doesn't start at one place, but we're talking about it. You have to, but you, you, you buy equipment, it attracts a certain caliber, of team member, and those higher level folks come in and they make that equipment hum and they change, they they tweak it, they make it better. And then that attracts maybe some new customers who like that capability or it makes your existing customers happier and they give you more work, which gives you more money to reinvest to buy new equipment and, and run the whole cycle over again yeah
2: yeah that was perfect jay i should have you come in and teach your flywheel <laughs> well well
0: i got, i had the article as a cheat sheet and and i loved <laughs> and it sounds like you're adapting but to serve customers better by adopting new technology early and you could read that and say oh well we have to buy this machining center or that and it goes back to your founding with your dad and the wire edms but i love the idea that you're tying the people and the process into it as well and mm-hmm. and that's maybe that's not your stated vision, but it's sure a guidepost along the way to serve customers better by adopting new technology early. And, yeah. and you Kelly's help recognize that's a flywheel that you can take advantage of. It's one of the beautiful things I think about flywheels is once you get them spinning and you understand that you have a flywheel, it takes a lot of decisions away. And and maybe you can even comment. On that the in the article, how you you had to get rid of equipment that you had invested in and it was probably making you money, but it wasn't the best fit for you anymore. And that that's a hard decision for a shop owner to to say, oh well, you know, it doesn't owe me anything, and every job it goes through is the effective machine yeah. rate is only the cost of labor and some electricity and that's like, but it's not. So maybe you can riff on that a little bit.
2: Yeah, that was a really interesting experience because we actually took something off the menu, so to speak. So as Mm. a shop, we no longer can do a certain, well, for us it's larger diameter parts because we sold these two pieces of equipment. And and that's always a hard thing to do because from a marketing perspective, you're not saying you can do something anymore. But you know, we didn't have the flywheel at the time. So we were investing in this equipment because a customer had a need. And we mm. said, yeah, we can do that. And we believe that we can need to sell this after, you know, your project wraps up.
3: Mm.
2: And uh, so, you know, we made those choices. I, I'm not, not putting any blame on our customers because that's what they, that's what they're there for. They're going to ask if you can sure. do things, right? <laughs> yeah. So you know, we, we made that decision and it was actually a few years ago, we brought in a manufacturing estimator and, and he made a comment to me and he said, you know, those are some of the hardest ones to quote for. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, they're really not like anything else in, that we have here. I mean, all the other stuff is mm-hmm. multi-axis, live tooling, you know, automation on them. And, you know, the biggest thing about those lasers is that they're big. That's it,
3: mm. Mm.
2: and it was kind of a yeah. You know what? You're right. These probably don't fit who KLH is, and and we were seeing at the time they were among some of the least utilized machines in the shop. So now we've got my now I've got very our largest machines that that probably run the the least, you know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and take up a lot of floor space. So if you want to expand. You got to, yeah. you got to add on to the building or move. Or, and it's perhaps simpler to particularly when it's to make big parts, you need big machines. You probably freed up a lot of floor space by yeah taking those out of the picture.
2: Yeah. And, and there was a strategy component too. So, I mean, if we, typically as things get bigger, quantities get fewer, that's not mm. always the case, but generally speaking. So if, if, you know, our real uh, concerted effort around here these days is to start to increase our mm. average order quantity and our mm. you know start partnering with companies that have EAU's. So these machines didn't really fit, you know, what yeah. we thought the growth potential was going to be in the future. Love
0: it. A couple other questions on aspects of the EOS implementation, and sure. it sounds like the process helped you identify, as they say, the right seats on the bus, the right people in the right seats on the bus, and maybe there's some gaps, and there was a, a lot of content written around your director of finance. How did you identify that that role was needed, and what does he do, and why does he pay for himself? Because you could look at a position like that as pure overhead.
2: Yeah, that was probably the one of the biggest and most debated things for us because at the time we had a, a very long-standing relationship with a fractional CFO, so you know, Is part-time, it? one day a week CFO. And shortly before we started US, he actually unexpectedly passed away. So we we were in a position where we said, what are the biggest challenges facing the company? Where do we want to get to and and does this role fit? You know, as soon as you sit down and say, and I'm not speaking discouragingly about fractional relationships, because I think there is a a definite time and a place for them, but we had someone who was coming in one day a week and they really didn't have the amount of time that they needed to do the the rocks that we were talking about, do the things Mm -hmm. that would move the business forward long-term, He was more day-to-day, week-to-week type things. And so that was a bit of a leap of faith for us to say, hey you know we've had a certain budget for a fractional cfo and now we need to go out and look for a full-time finance person because we want to do x y and z mm-hmm. eos was really the tool that in the accountability chart specifically was the tool that kind of opened our eyes to say boy if someone's going to be accountable for this they probably need to be here more often than one day a week <laughs> yeah otherwise it's yeah. going to be one of us at the table who needs to be accountable for it
0: how does he pay for himself now that you have him on board. I'm sure he, he does, but perhaps there's ways that or things that he does that weren't anticipated but have created a lot of value.
2: So the way that the director of finance is really, the position as a whole has helped us is through some of these longer reaching projects. We established a budgeting process for their, and I, I'm almost a little embarrassed to share this, but for the first time. <laughs> you know last year this you are, year <laughs> we didn't budget for the longest time <laughs> you know it's it's i think it takes a motivated finance person to come in and say this is what we need to be doing because yeah yeah, I, I, absolutely
3: you
2: know, you know i think a lot of business owners just kind of have that feel for i we can't or can't afford this but so we went through a budgeting process and so now we're evaluating results every, I mean, we're always looking at month monthly financial results. Did we make money or lose money? But now we're just looking at it at a much more, you know, we're anticipating when expenses are going to occur, what types of things we want to do. So it's been very advantageous for us to bring this role on board full time because it's, and, and there are a lot of other larger projects on the horizon for this role too, in terms mm-hmm. of you know, deeper dives into our costing, you know, participating in in an ERP implementation. I think when you talk about finance, that's another thing that companies as they scale up kind of learn that maybe the general ledger accounts that worked for us when we were smaller don't have the detail we need as we start to move forward. So that's another thing that we're going to ask him to do. We've covered a lot of ground here and
0: If someone is is interested in implementing EOS or scaling up or similar system, what would you say to them? How, if they ask, how do I get started? I I Hmm. believe, I I see what you've done, Kevin, you and your team, your company, but I have no idea how to start and what should be my expectations. Should I expect in three months, six months, I'm going to turn my company around?
2: Set, set some a, a path forward for, for someone. Sure. Well, my advice is if you want to get started in EOS, read, get a grip it's it's mm. in the traction library, but it's the one that's more like a fable. It reads like a story. Mm. Mm-hmm. So if you find yourself never read a business book before, that's a great place to start in terms of expectations just know that you get out of this, what you put into it. So, you know, like for us, the core values, Yeah, you know, we went through eight revisions in a group of people. And I remember one person even saying, does it matter? Why are we <laughs> spending so much time on this? Should we, let's just move on. And I saying, no, this does matter. This is the stuff we need to agonize over because we're going to use this in so many places in so many ways. So, What really stands out to me about the process is how much time it takes. So you could do, you could implement an EOS in two years. Like they say, if you and your team all have the time it takes to put into this, if, if you find yourself constantly working in the business, instead of on the business every day, Mm -hmm. EOS is working on the business and you need to be ready for that time commitment. Because if, if you. The I with the coaches I've worked with, the implementations that don't take are the ones where they're really not truly ready to put in the hours it takes to make it work.
0: And it's not forever. The hours you put in then make your business more efficient, and you get those hours back because you're not fighting fires all day.
2: Yes, absolutely. It's it's just one of those things you have to realize you're you know, you have to kind of go through the fire and then on the opposite side is something, like you said, that's, you know, you've empowered other people, you've created a leadership team, you know who's accountable for these decisions. And ultimately that does free up your time. Yeah. So you have time to listen to things like podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're getting up
0: on the end of time here and I want to thank you. I could easily talk, with you for another couple hours. The me too. <laughs> path that you have taken is so similar to where we were at Rapid when we were a company your size. And we wouldn't have been able to do what we did without a structure in place, a, a formal structure that we didn't have to invent and having a great coaching partner. I love what you're doing. The article makes it seem easy, but you and I both know there's so much hard work behind the scenes, you know, all those hours to create the core values. Thanks, though, for sharing some of that and showing us that there is a path towards creating structure, creating a strategic vision that's unique to your shop and showing that every shop, no matter how well running, can keep improving. And I think, importantly, that there are systems out there to help you do this and people train to help you do them. You mm-hmm. don't have to do this on your own. So is there anything else that you would like to put out there and before we
2: begin? No, I guess, you know, you said it really well. It it comes with asking for help. You know, one of our core values is the challenge, the status quo. And a lot of times what that looks like is to challenge yourself, yeah. look inwardly and ask for help. How
0: could people reach you if if you don't mind having folks contact you with any questions that they might have after listening?
2: Sure. Best way to get a hold of me is, you know, probably by picking up the phone and give KLH a call at 262-253-4990 and ask for Kevin. Well, again, thanks so much, Kevin. As we've been talking,
0: I think the word that ties everything together that you and KLH do is intention, and you have the intention to serve customers better by adopting new technologies early. You have intention in defining your future. You have intention in how you plot your course to get there. If you're listening, I highly recommend you read the article. We're going to link to it in our podcast notes, and then read it again. After, and this is the hard part, decide if you want to be intentional in how you want to grow as a shop, because honestly, not everyone does. It's hard work, and that's okay if you don't. It's better to understand what your intention is, even if you do not want to have intention. But let's say you want to be intentional. What can you borrow from Kevin and his team and apply to your own shop? What's the first step for you? What action are you going to take today? And yes, I am being pushy. I want you to succeed. I want you to look back in five years and see that you became the master of your own destiny. And you created something beyond yourself, something you could only dream could come true. And if you really strive hard enough, maybe you too will become a modern machine shop top shop. Until next time, Keep those spindles turning and those lasers cutting. Buckle down and make it an intentional day. Thanks for listening to the Job Shop Show podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do I read every single one, it also helps me understand what content matters most to you. Thanks again for listening to The Job Shop Show.